talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Barrett. That's Andrew Gillis. And we're talking Ohio State spring football, which starts on March 5th. We know we're doing this about a week and a half early here, but next week's Combine Week. So there's going to be stuff to talk about there. And we're going to be obviously sprinkling in spring football stuff as we get close to that. March 5th is officially when it's supposed to start. Get the text 614-350-3315. And we're kicking off this spring football conversation by talking about nine of the most interesting players heading into spring football. And we're not including the quarterbacks in this conversation because we understand that is literally the most important thing, the most interesting thing that is going on. But there's also a bunch of other interesting things that's going on with Ohio State's football roster heading into the spring football. There's some important position battles all over the field. There's some young guys who may be ready to take some jobs. There's some old guys who had some jobs, and we're going to see if they can try to hold on to them. So there's plenty of other stuff that we're going to talk about. So we're just saying it up front. We get it. We could literally have a list of all the quarterbacks and then start this list, but that that's not really a fun conversation. We're going to do it draft style, like we typically do things, just for the sake of structure. Nathan's going to go first. Andrew's going to go second. I'm going to go third. So, Nathan, just off the bat, what do you – who – excuse me, not what. Who do you think is the most interesting football football player on Ohio State's roster heading into spring practice next, in two, two weeks? Well, actually, I think it's Will Howard. But uh, if we're not doing quarterbacks, then I there's a lot of nominees. There's a lot of candidates. But I'm for me, it's what will spring tell us about somebody. And there are a couple of guys on this roster who I feel like we still don't have a, a – and we have a little bit more of one maybe after the interviews with – Matt Guerrero and, and James Laurinaitis that we had earlier this week, which I actually wasn't here for because I was still out of town. So even after coming out of those interviews, I still just don't know where CJ Hicks is going and where CJ Hicks is in his career and what comes next for CJ Hicks. I'm very, it's the thing that I'm the most up in the air about. Uh, even compared to like, like it's like I, I know Sonny Styles is going to be on the field. Sonny Styles is going to have a role on the field with the number one defense. That's a thing that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know that about C.J. Hicks. More to the point, I, I don't even really know where he would fit in as a depth piece if they do move Sonny Styles to linebacker and Cody Simon's a starting linebacker. Then is C.J. Hicks just still just a backup linebacker? And does that because his career hasn't taken off? Is it because they're missing something here and they're about to just waste uh, someone's talents. Uh, I'm. It's what I want to get a look at with my own eyes the most this spring because I don't know that we came out of even last spring with a great understanding of where he was supposed to be just because, you know, Tommy Eichenberg wasn't practicing last spring, but and they gave gave extra reps for those guys at the top, but we always knew that the starting jobs were still going to be Chambers and Eichenberg when we got to the fall. So with more of an open concept for at least one linebacker spot going into the spring, where does C.J. Hicks fit in? And in some ways, it's a little bit academic because it's like, it. I guess it doesn't matter for 2024. Like, they're going to have a great defense in 2024. I don't think... CJ Hicks is like the key to a championship defense in 2024. But in terms of just 
as you they bring in guys, you evaluate them, you ask them about the guy's development, you try to track it all the way through. What's going to be third year for C.J. Hicks and his uh, presence on this defense is not apparent to me as we are a week away from the start of spring ball, two weeks away from the start of spring ball. So Hicks was number one on my list, and it was literally just because uh, we talked with James Oronitis on Tuesday about some of this stuff, and he kept using the word consistency. And then I was talking with some other people just in the program about what what are we talking about here? Because I think sometimes when you throw that word consistency out, it can mean a lot of different things. He'll flash every bit of what that five-star status was. Every bit of it. I mean, he looks the part. He'll flash it. But then the next play there, the exact quote was, well, what the heck is that? It's just it's been so up and down. But the thing is, it could be up and down because to your point, Nathan, you knew who your starters were. You knew what the hierarchy really the entire time that CJ Hicks has been here in some order. It's been Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon and Steel Chambers. And, and obviously, Tommy Eichenberg's kind of put himself in a gap between where he was and still Chambers and Cody Simon was after the way he played in 2022. But entering that year, those were your top three. You didn't necessarily need CJ Hicks, but it has been an ongoing conversation. Andrew, since he got here, when is this top 10 recruit going to force his way onto the field? And they haven't needed it. And now it does seem like the way James Laurinaitis was talking, maybe it's finally clicked and it's clicking at like the perfect time. But what does that mean when Sonny Styles may or may not be coming into your room when there is an opening spot for him to grab, but is he actually going to grab it? Yeah, uh, Hicks was second on my list. Um, you know, as I kind of made this, I think for a lot of the same reasons that you said, right? You know, we talked a lot about CJ Hicks after the um, availability that they had earlier this week, you know, where we talked about, where Derek James Laurinaitis talked about, you know, like you said, the consistency, and he talked about kind of getting him on the field. For me, it's the reason I couldn't put him number one is because it's it's solely what he can do on the field. And it's can this guy get on the field or not? And and I think that that is it's a really interesting conversation because the athleticism is there. And, you know, I, I've said this story before, you know, when you join a beat and you kind of do all these things, the whole thing that I was ready for all fall camp was everybody to talk about the unleashing of CJ Hicks. Right. Because I had read all of those stories last spring practice. I had read all of those stories in the summer. I had read all of those stories heading into fall camp. Everybody was quoting, and I'm not just saying the writers, I'm saying like coaches were saying this. Everybody was talking about how CJ Hicks was about to get unleashed. And that was the word that everybody wanted to use, unleashed. And it just never happened. And yeah, you had Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. And yeah, that matters a lot. But now is kind of the time, you know, you're, you're headed into a third year. Yeah, it's a high-end player. Sometimes it just takes dudes a little bit, but you got to pop at some point and you would have to think that that time to pop is right now, because if you don't, then you have questions about what it means for, for him and for Ohio state long-term. Hicks in a room where the only player who has played North of a hundred career snaps is Cody Simon, Nathan, the rest of that room, CJ Hicks, Gabe Powers, Arvell Reese, maybe some other guys will show up on this list here, but it does just seem like that line, but you're right. They don't have to be, the best unit on the defense. In fact, they're probably not going to be. They're probably going to be the third best unit on the defense, and that's fine because your defensive line is really good and your secondary is supposed to be really good this year. But still, this is still a five-star recruit entering year three. You, you, you're maybe does it is it kind of a now or never situation for C.J. Hicks in terms of is this going to pop or not? And just to clarify, I wasn't saying it was academic because the linebackers are going to be third best regardless because – um, when you play at the highest levels and you're getting into, you know, a, a final four situation, a, a playoff situation, 
um, the best teams in the country will exploit whatever your weakness is. So you want to be strong there anyway. My point more being that if CJ Hicks didn't exist, I don't think we'd be talking about the potential of this defense any differently. Um, because I think the linebackers could may have other people who are just as good as him. So yeah, it's more, I'm not, it's not to me, it's not about putting pressure on this guy. They're like, Oh, you've got to pop now. It's like, it's more that this is a collection of talent Ohio state has, but there just seems like there is everything we ever heard about him and whether, and I'm not even just talking about from a, a recruiting standpoint, even when he got here and the way people talked about him, the way steel chambers talked about him, like, it, that there was clearly something here and it was like why it has not why is it so off the radar that we don't even think about it being essential for this team having a good defense now, some of that is just they didn't if we projected this three years ago we wouldn't still think that Sawyer and Tua and all these guys would still be here that has changed more than anything that has changed how we look at this defense that doesn't really affect linebacker though so I just I, I want to kind of see with my eyes again where he's at because we don't get a great look at that during the season. Frankly, a lot of times if CJ Hicks was in a game, I probably wasn't watching that game very closely anymore. And even when you watch it later on rewatch, it, it it's not the same. Like spring gives us a chance to hopefully see these guys rep more. Uh, we're not going to get to see all of every practice, but they were pretty transparent with us last year opening things up I hope they do that again and I think this is just one guy that a lot of people are going to be watching and that's why we had him so high on our lists because it's more again I don't like to put it out there like man this guy better get it together I don't really think that's what it is everybody has their own career arc I'm just very curious about what it is right now where is he right now what is he showing right now or not showing right now that gives us a better assessment um, the be- the more important assessment is what you actually see from him three years later than what somebody thought of him when he was in high school three years ago. He's got plenty of opportunities to show that off this spring. Obviously, like Cody, I wouldn't expect Cody Simon to be that involved with what they're going on with spring practice just because there's I, four other guys in that room who need to get reps. And as James Ornaz was talking on Tuesday, linebacker is not one of those positions you can just learn in the classroom. You have to go play it. And so I, I would expect Hicks and Arvell Reese and Gabe Powers, especially those guys, maybe Nigel Glover as well, to be getting every rep you could possibly imagine this spring. I think all three levels of defense, they can back their starters off significantly and let the young guys cook a lot this spring yep. and really rep those guys up. Defensive line, cornerback, safety, everywhere. I think you can do that. So CJ Hicks... The number one pick in our nine most interesting guys who are non-quarterbacks, obviously non-quarterbacks. Andrew, who's the top guy on your list? Yeah, so I said Hicks was second, uh, and that was because I had Sonny Styles first. Um, Fascinated by this. I I have genuinely been thinking of this when I'm not working. I'll just be watching TV, and I'll just be thinking like, Sonny Styles. And I'll I'll just think about it because I'm like, how can they use this guy in the manner that is most effective for this defense, because I think Sonny Styles is one of the 11 best players on this defense, but is he one of the best safeties? Is he one of the best linebackers? Like how do you get him on the field? And that I think is really interesting because again, Steven and I talked about this after the Lauren Itis and uh, McCrary pod where we were like, Hey, look, they both kind of want this guy. Like, 
James Laurinaitis has kind of said, like, you know, he thinks that he would be a great linebacker, and they both kind of think that he could be whatever position that he can fit at. It's just that you can't just say you're a rover, you can do a bunch of different things, you know, we're going to have you move around to a bunch of different areas, and then that be the end of it, because then you're not maximizing the talent. You have got to let him... It's it sounds convoluted, but you've got to let him have that roam in a structure, right? And I'm curious what that structure looks like. Because do you want him playing safety on rundowns? Do you want him playing linebacker on pass downs? How do you have that mix going? You know, I, I think that I, we've said this before in this pod that it's going to be very matchup dependent of who they play. Where you know, hey, look, if you're when you play Michigan, maybe it makes sense to have Cody Simon and CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles in in uh, in your linebacking core and it's essentially like a typical 4-3 and Sonny Styles can kick out and play the nickel if he has to and, and that can kind of be your defense or you know what do you do in dime packages i just i want to see what it looks like for for much as Nathan was saying you know i want to see it with my own eyes with CJ Hicks i want to see it with my own eyes with Sonny Styles like yeah, there's an, a, the, you know he's a good football player, and you know he's a talented football player, and you know he can play, and you know he can start. It's just where? And I think that that is a really interesting question to this defense because everything else is kind of set, right? You, you look at the defensive line, and you feel pretty good about that. And you look at the corners, and you feel pretty good about that. And you look at the safeties, and you feel pretty good about that. And, you know, with downs and ransom, and then you have Hancock at slot, and then you got, like, you map everything out and you're like, okay, where does Sonny Styles fit? Okay, where 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 do they get this dude on the field? And I think that they want to get him on the field. I just don't know how. We we know we know everything. We know the who, we know the what, we just don't know the how. And I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. I think all those reasons are valid that Andrew just pointed out. But all those reasons are also why he started falling on my list when I started thinking of other people on this list. Because I think during spring practice, the only answer we're going to get to any of those questions is where is Sonny Styles, whether he's with the safety group or he's with the linebacker group. I think a lot of those extra things, all those other de- details, we're not really going to find out until they start playing football opponents. And then they actually do have to figure out where Sonny Styles is. And just because of how spring is, and how it is more about teaching and learning the system and individual development. I'm not sure if some of the answers that are most intriguing about Sonny Styles we're actually going to find out in these 15 practices. Well, we do want to see him actually line up at Will Linebacker. That's a thing that we have never seen. Yes, he's played that slot nickel, that um, whatever you want to call it, that Jim Knowles called the Sam nickel. So very much insinuating that he thought of him as a linebacker in some ways last year, but we have not seen him play inside linebacker in this defense ever once, not one snap. So that will be a thing that we'll have eyes on on day one and and throughout the spring. Uh, I I am a little bit more in line with you, Stephen, though, than Andrew, as far as like how fascinated I am by this. I think I at one point was fascinated by this, and I've sort of done a 180 and started to wonder if I've been overthinking this. Maybe we've all been overthinking this a little bit because you look at the other you look at eight spots on this team, nine. You can look at nine positions on this team and you're like, well, yeah, that's like a that's like a potential first team all Big Ten guy that's playing that spot, like nine spots. So then you've got that leaves you with Will linebacker and slot corner. And maybe we've been a little bit too quick to assume that Jim Knowles is ready to turn nickel over to Jordan Hancock full time because last year he very specifically 
talked about how you did not want to expose him at nickel in certain situations. Now, they had to eventually. When Lathan Ransom got hurt, he had to play it full-time, and I think he did fine there. But if you're talking about what makes this an optimal defense, I think you would look at, we can throw C.J. Hicks into this conversation, though we didn't even mention the Jack when we were talking about him a minute ago, and that's obviously a big part of what his role could be, although I'm hesitant to even bring it up because... I'll I'll say this. It's The way James talked about that Jack position, I am... I'm very much. It still seems like it's on the horizon. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the distant horizon. So, but I'm, all I'm saying is in a, in a normal, in a regular year, you would look at people like CJ Hicks and like Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock and say, well, that's a first team every down starter. That's a, that's a number one defense guy, but because they have loaded up to this extent, then maybe now you say, well, we got three guys for two spots. And on early downs, maybe CJ Hicks is ready to be your inside linebacker. And you leave Sonny Styles as, <clears throat> excuse me, as the nickel. And now you are incredibly robust on early downs against the run, against short passing concepts. Because I think Sonny Styles is good enough in coverage to handle that. And then on later downs, you put Jordan Hancock back on the field and you put Sonny Styles inside. I know that sounds odd to us because it means you're limiting the snaps of really good players and there's no way around that. But I also don't know what result of this defense doesn't look like you're maybe limiting the snaps of some really good players. I mean, you know who else's snaps are going to be limited? Like third year Kenyatta Jackson, third year Caden Curry, like second year guys like Jermaine Matthews, who not just anywhere else in the country, but like two years ago, Ohio State would have like sold um, the Schottenstein Center to have a corner as good as Jermaine Matthews, who was healthy and available to play just two years ago. So like there's going to be, they're going to, this isn't going to look like it has looked the last few years where your best 11 are your clear best 11 and they have to dominate the snaps. I think this could be a little bit, clunkier than that even clunkier i think it's just gonna they're gonna have to be more they don't they don't have to be more versatile or multiple but they can be more multiple as a strength so i'm keeping that as i'm keeping that on the table this may end up that uh, cj hicks just isn't ready to be a first team guy or there isn't the right fit for him and sunny styles is ready to be an inside linebacker and jordan hancock can hang well enough at nickel to satisfy Jim Knowles. And then that just solves itself. Then it really is the best 11, but I'm definitely keeping it open an open mind to the idea that uh, if, if Hicks can play inside linebacker, the way they need him to right now, or by the start of the season, then you roll three guys through two spots and it hurts all of those guys potential to be a first team, all big 10 player or whatever, and showcase themselves for the draft even potentially. But it, makes it more likely that you have unquestionably the best defense in the country. And I don't, I think that might be worth it. And there's enough variety on their schedule in terms of offensive schemes that there might be some weeks where, cause there, that happened this past year. There were some weeks where Sonny styles only played like 20 something snaps and Jordan Hancock was just out there. Cause that's the tough style of team they were playing. What, when they played Indiana, Sonny styles was out there the entire time and Jordan Hancock, they just kind of squeeze him in and the outside corner rotation. So it's, if everything pops, if CJ Hicks is starting to become the player they thought he was going to be, Sonny styles is 
Sonny Styles. Jordan Hancock is Jordan Hancock. Caleb Downs is Caleb Downs. Lathan Rats and Lathan Rats. All the names you want to say in the back seven, there's going to be some interesting conversations week on a week-by-week basis about how they're going to use all of these guys. Because there might be a week where a guy might play 50-something snaps, and then the very next week he plays 24 snaps just because that's what the defense necessarily called for. I'm going to go next, and I'm going to go on offense, our first offensive guy. I'm going with Luke Montgomery here. I want to see where he is, and I mean both in what unit he's working with and also is he on the inside or is he on the outside. We've talked about this, Andrew and Nathan, the idea that that right side of the offensive line is maybe three guys fighting for two spots, and that's Josh Fryer, Luke Montgomery, and Tegra Shibola. Maybe those other guys pop up on this list for uh, for you guys later on down the line, but I just think Luke Montgomery is the most fascinating of that group because Ryan Day said his name a lot last year, and he was a true freshman. And it did feel like, at least for a small window there, can this guy win a job as a true freshman? And then maybe Josh Fryer and Joshua Simmons shut that down and locked down those jobs. But Luke Montgomery going into year two as the guy who we've talked about played that bison role a lot this past year. And we've seen that role, whether it was Donovan Jackson or Josh Fryer, play that role. And then the very next year, they have a starting job. So can this borderline top 100 recruit be on that same path here where maybe he wasn't fully physically ready to take over that starting job in 2023, but in 2024, his second full offseason here, Andrew, Luke Montgomery, we walk out there and he's with the starting group, whether it be at right tackle or right guard. Well, I mean, I'm just happy that we're in the spin zone where Steven picked an offensive lineman over a wide receiver. That feels like a positive development. I'm doing good work. Um, yeah, Luke Montgomery, was he was actually fourth on my list. I had another offensive player, not an offensive lineman, above Luke Montgomery. Um, so, yeah, we are really in the twilight zone here. Um, yeah, Montgomery, for me, I look at him as just – what he can do for the offense, because yeah, you can talk about him on the field and be like, all right, look, if he can play tackle, where do you fit him in? How does he impact, you know, the rest of the offensive line? Like that to me is this is the more interesting thing, because if he can play tackle, like if he can play right tackle, then you have Simmons and Montgomery as your tackles. And then you look at McLaughlin at center, Donovan Jackson at left guard. And the line kind of fills out where you're like, okay, well there's, there might be one spot left, and that's Tegra Shibola, that's Josh Fryer, that's that, there's 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 a handful of different guys. There, Carson Hinsman is in that mix. Like you can you can look at a couple of different guys and be like, okay, well now there's a competition, and at right tackle, that is where I think you can really kind of map some things out. So. Yeah, I mean, physical development is obviously key on the offensive line. It is just, I don't care if you're the number one player in the country or the number 480 player in the country. It's very hard to come play offensive line as a freshman, especially at the level that Ohio State wants to play football at. Um, so, so, so it's difficult to do that. So I'm curious about a physical transformation. How has he looked over the last couple of months of weight training and things like that and kind of putting on some weight, putting on some strength? How does he kind of handle some defensive ends that are NFL defensive ends? Frankly, you know, th- these are guys that are going to be dudes that are getting ready to play in the league in a year's time and he's going to have to block them. And if he does well, then you're feeling pretty good about it. So what he can do on the field is one thing, but I think kind of him just being the biggest puzzle piece maybe is the is another part of this for me where it's man if if you can feel comfortable with him at right tackle then you really just map out the rest of the offensive line and things fall into place probably a little bit easier than you might think that they would fall into place 
I mean, this offensive line needs someone to step up and say, this is my job. Like, not, not I want that job. Not I can do that job. But, like, I've taken this job. And you can go back to the uh, 2021 preseason camp, right? It was 20, Yeah, 2021 mm-hmm. preseason camp. And we thought that offensive line was set. And then Dewan Jones was like, no, there's something yeah. else to consider. I'm yeah. taking this right tackle job. I'm the best guy for this job. And all of a sudden they had to do some and you can argue as to whether it was the changes that they made were in the, the best interest of everyone and, and got them the offensive line that they wanted at the end of the day. But still, it was a guy stepping up and demanding to play. And that's what this offensive line needs. They have guys yeah. who can do all of these jobs. They have more than five guys who could start for them plausibly on the offensive line. What they haven't had, what they didn't have enough of last year, was guys who, in the face of strong competition, repelled the other competitors. I don't really think that's what happened with Josh Simmons. I think they liked what Josh Simmons was going to become and Mm -hmm. turn into long-term, and they thought he had the best potential at left tackle. So that's why he played left tackle. That's why Josh Fryer moves to right tackle. And, uh, you know, I I guess that's maybe what happened at center, but they didn't have a lot of options at center. You know, Carson Hensman was, again, the one with the best potential of all the people that they were playing, and they hoped that he could get closer to it by the end of a season. What they need are guys to step up and say, I'm ready to be part of a dominant offensive line at the Big Ten level from day one. And uh, whoever that is, and I think I think Lou Montgomery, of the people on the short list of candidates at tackle, and we're probably talking right tackle, right guard for him. I think he is he has to go at the top of the list of guys who could maybe do that this spring. Because there's other guys who would be in that conversation who've already had a couple shots at it and we haven't seen it yet. And he was only a true freshman last year and was already making some progress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Shibola would be like number two on that list, I guess. But for me, I think Montgomery would still be my, and, and I'm not even predicting that he would maybe be the one that wins out. But if you're talking about the ones who could do what I've been talking about, who could just step in and say, I'm ready. This is my job. You guys go worry about the other four spots he's maybe the closest to that. And we didn't see anything close to that last year. In fact, last year at times it was the offensive line was playing, so, getting dominating so bad that it was hard to even evaluate the quarterbacks because <laughs> the quarterbacks had no time. They can't come out of the spring with that. I, I love that you brought up the, the Dewan Jones part of this because yeah, in 2021, I think we had an idea what the offensive line would look like. And obviously it got thrown on top of his head to, uh, two weeks in the fall camp. Not quite the same thing last year. We saw things, didn't know. We Nobody liked what they saw, and so we knew they were going to have to flip some things on their head going into fall camp. It would be nice if Ohio State is – if this is like 2022, where you come out of the spring and you at least have an idea of – and you're maybe 85% sure because guys are playing at a level where it is a healthy back and forth with one of the better defensive lines in the country. No, It's not just a dominating side for one side and the other side is getting dominated, while also you see promise as you head in the fall camp. And I think Luke Montgomery, as the young guy in this situation, who was a true freshman last year, so there was a learning curve. I just think of those, the guys we're talking about probably has the best chance of showing that because to your point, Nathan, we haven't seen it from him yet while we have at least an idea with some of these other guys. We're going to take a quick break here and we're going to get into our second group of three here on Buckeye Talk.
We're talking the most interesting players on Ohio State football's roster heading in the spring practice, which starts March 5th. Get the text, 614-350-3315. The schedule hasn't come out yet in terms of the media schedule. and The players know their schedule. They know when they have practice and whatnot. But typically, we're in there for that first practice of spring. So assuming that happens again this year, looking at you, Jerry Emick, looking at you, Listen, we're going to all that information when we're in there in the morning. That's the first place we're going with it is the text 614-350-3315 two week free trial 399 after that. So, Nathan, you're back up. Who is your second most interesting player? The fourth overall in this list, but second most interesting player to you as we head into spring practice on March 5th. Well, let's keep it on the offensive line and let's talk about Seth McLaughlin, uh, because either we see this spring that he has figured out how to snap again which means he's probably this team's starting center, or he hasn't figured out how to snap again, which then is he starting anything on this offensive line? Then it, it casts a lot of doubt on a lot of things. And I really think that this offensive line in totality just has to come out of this spring in a better place than it did a year ago. And it seemed as we got late in the season that that was definitely going to happen. And then after the Cotton Bowl, there's reason to question that, that, that was just such a systemic failure across the board. That looked like last spring. That looked like when they couldn't block anybody and the quarterbacks were just, you know, guys are getting backpedaled into their face mask and they're having to evade guys to try to make anything happen. And it was just a full circle in the worst way. So that can't be the way we're talking about this offensive line come April 15th or whatever. He's a small part of that. He's not, it doesn't all ride on him. But there is obviously a domino effect if he shows real competency at center. And now you're getting a starting center with playoff experience from the SEC, playing those kind of athletes on a down-to-down basis. And if he can just figure out the snap issues, if they just whatever is mental or technical or whatever was going on there, if he and Will Howard can lock in there, then I think it opens up a lot of potential options for the rest of that offensive line. You Again, it's all just about saying this spot is done. This spot is the way you can do at defensive end and cornerback and running back and some of the receiver positions and any a number of other places on this team. You have to start being able to do that with each of these five offensive line spots. And I really think you can look back to like things that went wrong for this offense in the season of 2023 had their foundation in the spring of 2023 because that offensive line inhibited or hindered the way that they could practice that offense um, against a first string defense because it just lost so consistently. And I think that that might have been in Comicord's mind all of last season. I'm sure he wouldn't have admitted that, but I thought you could see it in the way that he played that you would have thought that maybe that's counterintuitive that by getting that experience in the spring where things are kind of falling apart and you have to figure it out that that would have helped him. But I think with so much on the line and so much scrutiny that goes into that position that to always have in the back of your head that this thing could collapse at any second does not make for good quarterback play. I think they need to give Will Howard a better foot forward or Devin Brown or whoever wins this job this this offseason. Um, give them a better foot forward by giving them a more confident footing 
every game that they go into. And I think that starts mentally as much as physically. So Seth McLaughlin is a part of this, but I feel like he is emblematic of the answers that we need to get this spring about each of these five spots. Seth McLaughlin, the Alabama transfer, who was a multi-year starter for the Crimson Tide, but obviously last year, as you mentioned, some snapping issues across all 12 games, all 13 games, all 14 games that they played last season, not just in the Michigan game that actually happened in the Auburn game. I think it happened even earlier in the season as well, Andrew. Potentially, the idea here is Carson Hensman was maybe thrusted into a position where he maybe wasn't ready to be it and at times didn't look so great. And if you bring in a veteran, if he does fix those issues, this should be a significant upgrade for Ohio State's offensive line. Did Seth make your list? Yeah, Seth was there. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the snapping stuff because, you know, the number of Ohio State fans listening to this podcast that watched Alabama Middle Tennessee State is probably like four, maybe. And then maybe because you saw a highlight of it, you know, like it was very low, but those snapping problems were there, you know, early in the year, those snapping problems were there. It's just that in the Michigan game, everybody saw it. And and that was kind of the thing. It was just, it put a spotlight on the issue that if you followed Alabama all year long, had kind of been plaguing him in that offensive line all year long. So the number one thing that, that I want to look at is, are the snapping issues fixed? Like Nathan was saying, because if you can't snap the ball, like if you can't get the ball from the center to the quarterback, then what are you doing? And and Seth said this when we talked to him. He was like, look, the job, the play starts with me getting the ball to the quarterback. That's my job. And the play can't start if I don't get the ball to the quarterback. I have to do that. And I think you just look at kind of the the basic processes of it. That's where you have to start. So, yeah, getting getting that settled is one thing. How does he handle pass protection? How does he handle, you know, run blocking? How does he pick up the offense? Like there's there's a lot of other kind of sub factors to this that I think are really interesting, which is why I had him on my list, because he's coming in and you have a center that has had some snapping problems. You know, it's it's a little bit like a money ball situation where the A's signed Scott Hatterberg to play first base because he couldn't catch. It's like, well, can he play catcher or first base? And you need to find that out. And you need to find out like is McLaughlin a guy that you can trust to snap the ball? Is a guy, is he a guy that you can trust to play the position effectively after Will Howard catches the snap? You know, is that a guy that you can rely on? Because he's going to be going up against some really good defensive linemen in spring ball. So you're going to get a think, you're going to get a taste, I think, pretty quickly of, you know, maybe how far he has to go, what he has to do, and how he has to get there. Because Again, you you look at the offensive line. I don't think it's as much of a linchpin as a Luke Montgomery type situation because you look at McLaughlin and you see like, all right, veteran guy comes from a high level program. You know, they just played in the college football playoff. He's experienced. This is the guy you expect to start at center, but you got to see it. And and I think that there are some questions that I have about him. So, yeah, he was uh, he was definitely on my list, kind of right in the middle. So McLaughlin, the second offensive lineman to show up on this list, right behind Luke Montgomery. Andrew, who's your next guy? Yeah, I mean, this list I don't think is complete without Jeremiah Smith. Um, I mean, he's the number one player in the country. He was He's the type of dude that when you talk about him and when other people talk to you about him, you kind of think that theme music is going to start to play in the background. Like the way that they talk about him, the way that people not associated with Ohio State talk about Jeremiah Smith 
is just it's at a different level from everybody else you know I think a great kind of comparison is Ohio State has another really good receiver that is is in this class he's not on the list but Mylon Graham and everybody talks about Mylon Graham is oh well you know he's he's a great player and he's got an elite speed and elite athleticism and he should be able to show up eventually and make an impact and that's just the way that things go at Ohio State you know the 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 talent is such that it's just so hard to play in your freshman year because a lot of times there's a lot of guys that are just there and you're not going to start week 1 or week 2 or week 3 and then you get to the Jeremiah Smith conversation and it's just it's different and different dudes are different and and I don't mean to be you know punchy with that it's just he is literally and in every sense of the word built different and this is a player that if anybody could start at Ohio state at receiver as a freshman, he's it. And I just, I, I want to see what it looks like. You know, you, the, the clip that I remember was at the C, at the, um, the all American bowl down in San Antonio. There was an interview with Ian Moore, Ohio state's offensive line signee in the class, their offensive, their big offensive tackle. And they asked him a question about Jeremiah Smith and the, his eyes about fell out of his head. And like, that's just the reaction that you get from all these guys. So I want to see the athleticism. I want to see how things match up in terms of his route skills, in terms of his pass catching ability, how he goes up against corners that I said it with the offensive line. You know, Denzel Burke is going to be prepping for the NFL draft in a year. And Davison Igbenosin is an NFL, like is probably going to be an NFL player, eventually a high level NFL player. And he's going to be prepping for either the NFL draft or coming back to be a first round pick in a year's time. Like there's, there's a lot of talent at that secondary position at the cornerback specifically. And I want to see how Jeremiah Smith handles it. Does he pick up run blocking? Well, does he handle things that are maybe a little bit more nuanced that everybody thinks, Oh, it's a receiver. You just run out and catch the ball. No, there's a lot more that goes into playing receiver. And I just want to see how he handles all of that. I just want to see him in pads. Yeah. You know, sometimes I don't, all the other stuff, it will come in time. I, I, Garrett Wilson was making plays as a true freshman in the spring game as well. I'm expecting Jeremiah Smith to do that exact same thing when we get to that spring game on April 13th. I just want to see him in pads. And I remember last year when we walked in there and we saw Jelani Thurman Nathan for the first time in pads. And it was like, okay, that looks like a dude. We've seen Jeremiah Smith just walking around when he comes up for games and visits. I've seen him really since he camped at Ohio State with Brandon Innes and Carnell Tate three years ago now, and he was 14 years old, and he was looking like a man then. And obviously, yes, we've all seen the highlights. We know how Ryan Day reacted when Mark Pantone came in the room and said, it's done, even though it wasn't actually done because he hadn't sent in his letter of intention yet. But we get it. There's an opportunity here for him to start. To, to, to claim a starting role or at least be in the rotation, whatever that rotation looks like. I'm not expecting Nathan Emeka Abuka to do much. I think Emeka Abuka spring might look very similar to Marvin Harrison spring last year where like the first four periods he's involved and then he's just kind of standing around for the rest of the day while like Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis and Jeremiah Smith and Jaden Ballard and Kojo Antwi and, and Keon Gray. It's like, all right, dude, show us some stuff. But with Jeremiah Smith, when we walk in there for practice, I want to see if I'm going to get the same feeling just looking at him in pads that I got about J- Jelani Thurman a year ago. Well, the big difference between Emeka Buka's spring and Marvin Harrison Jr.'s spring will be that when he returns punts, nobody will care, but it'll actually mean something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> God. Um, 
the stuff we obsess over sometimes on this beat is just don't, like, don't say we it. don't say we yeah, that wasn't fair, that we wasn't a we problem <laughs> we that was a, that that was a yp not an mp yes for boogie nights um listen you you just look for things like there's a lot of guys who we're gonna get a look at for the first time mm-hmm. but obviously jeremiah smith is different and yeah you you put him separately i think even than some of the second year receivers who we expect big things from because it's possible and hey, i think there's there's a fine line here i'm not walking in there on day one, expecting him to be something like a cross between, like you know, Calvin Johnson <laughs> like, and AJ yeah, Calvin Green, Johnson, and, Johnson and, and Jesus. Like I'm not <laughs> expecting that on day one, but I, I am open to the opportunity, the fact that it could happen, <laughs> and you, you just kind of uh, your eyes are open for that because he is. Uh, listen, like we've heard. I heard Brian Hartline say something about him one time that was not on the record. It was in a it was in a closed setting. So right. I don't know if I'm going to repeat it exactly, but let me just say the Brian Hartline's regard for Jeremiah Smith is insanely high. And if you trust Brian Hartline's evaluation of receivers, which I strongly encourage you to do, then okay. then you they're expecting this to be pretty special, I think, pretty quickly. So what does that mean on the first day of spring? I don't know, but we all just want to get a look at it, obviously. And I also think there this offense still needs some help. Like, we don't know how good Will Howard's going to be. We're not talking about the quarterbacks today. We just don't know how good he's going to be. We don't know how special mm-hmm. he's going to be. Mm-hmm. Anytime you can take somebody and throw them on the special pile, Mm-hmm. It pushes this offense back more towards where it needs to be. And guys, it really wasn't that far off last year. We can complain and and grouse about how certain things went last year, but you had an amazing defense and you had an offense that was really pretty good a lot of the times. And if you can just, this offense needs to get better in the margins. It doesn't need to get mm-hmm. better wholesale, whole cloth. But a guy like him showing up and again, just saying, Hey, I'm not a candidate for a job. The job's mine. Like right now, at receiver they have one, and then they've got a lot of other candidates. Frankly, they've got a, a number of guys who could be in this mix. And we've talked about maybe that just means this is a deeper receiver rotation than it has been any year since 2019. And I think there's potentially value in that too. That not all of these guys are ready, and maybe none of them are to be the guy right now all the way. At least when compared against all those other guys, so you make a better two receivers out of four of them or whatever. I I think that's on the table and makes Ohio state potentially a better team, a more interesting team in some ways, a harder team to defend. You're putting out four fresh guys who are as good as the, uh, the two guys that other teams have put out. So I'm, I'm just intrigued by a lot of things about Jeremiah Smith. And I think again, it's, you don't want to go in with expectations so high that nobody can meet them. I think you go in and you realize that this is, this is just a true freshman. This is a guy who is, you know, most guys his age are still in school. He's showing up early. And yes, the regard that Brian Hartline and other people have for him is crazy high. Yes, he was like a consensus number one player in the country for a reason. But remember that when that when that is true of most guys, they're not usually stepping into a receiver room like Ohio State's. And this is 
the most competitive receiver room in the country year in and year out. And it will be even more so this year because there's actual spots up for grabs. You know, a lot of years it's, it's competitive at the lower levels because you're jockeying for that position so that a year down the road, you're a little bit ahead of some of these other guys and you're, you're progressing that way in that, that battle to find out who's going to transfer. But here there's actually spots open and there's a bunch of candidates. I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by what this receiver group is going to look like this spring, especially because it's, it's a, it's a great combination of like a confluence of events this spring, because it's not only these guys, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, Jeremiah Smith, although Jaden Ballard in there, although he's not young, but still a talent that has not been utilized that much yet. I'll put him on like the emerging list. And and you mentioned those those younger like third year guys or down the list third year guys Stephen, but all those guys are going to be going up against finally a like write it down in ink mm-hmm. tremendous secondary like yep. all five six spots like that's they got dudes at all those spots and so now now who shows up it's one thing if you're showing up in the receiver drills what do you do when you translate it on the field and who consistently wins yep. against Burke. And not just Burke Igbenosum, but Matthews and um, and and everybody else in that group. Uh, that's what's going to be really fun to watch if we get it. Hopefully, we get a look at that this spring because I think that's where the real battles are. It's one thing to be battling over with Brian Hartline doing drills. Mm-hmm. I want to see the battle when these when when Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, and Jeremiah Smith, who's been on campus all of a couple months, has to go on the field. You're lined up against Denzel Burke. What do you got? I've been thinking about that. Under Urban Meyer, Ohio State had this long history of elite cornerbacks, first-round cornerbacks, right? I don't – but you weren't looking at the wide receivers the same way. Now, you had some guys along the way. Michael Thomas is pretty awesome. It's Terry McLaurin took some time to turn into Terry McLaurin. Paris Campbell was a second-round draft pick, but it took time. KJ Hill took time, though. They're, they didn't look each other in the eye. And then now, early on in the, Brian, in the Ryan Day era, it's flipped, right? Ohio State's wide receiver room has all these dudes in it, and the cornerbacks – <laughs> not only couldn't look them in the eye, they probably couldn't be in the same room as them at times, especially once Jeff Okuda walked out the door. This is the first time in quite a while where the corners and the wide receivers can just look each other in the eye, and I genuinely don't know who's going to win snap to snap. So that is going to be an interesting battle. Denzel Burke versus Emeka Ibuka, uh, Davis and Igbenosin against Cardinal Tate. Hell, J- Jermaine Matthews against Jeremiah Smith might get interesting. I Calvin Simpson Hunt against Brandon Ennis might get interesting. And it's going to be a when we talk to both of those groups, it might be fun asking those types of questions. Of, hey, who won the day? Did the cornerbacks win the day? Did the wide receivers win the day? Because there's legitimate first round talent in both of those rooms right now. And it, it, so that's an interesting place for Ohio State's wide receivers to be, especially since we're talking about Jeremiah Smith, who. I mean, we just done a Ronald Buckmore update with putting Marvin Harrison Jr. at number one, and maybe Jeremiah Smith three years from now, he's unseating Marvin Harrison Jr. as that number one spot, or at least flirting with the idea of it. But Jeremiah Smith gets to walk into a wide receiver room where there is opportunity, legit opportunity, to at worst be fourth in the rotation. And maybe fifth, depending on what happens with Jaden Ballard in that situation. But he also gets to do it in a situation where, to your point, Nathan, it's not just what are you doing in drills, what are you doing in the classroom? It's, hey, you had 45 reps against Denzel Burke. How'd you do? Because if you dominated Denzel Burke, more than likely you're going to dominate every cornerback not named Will Johnson in the Big Ten. 
And I think that's a very interesting thing to be watching throughout the spring practice. I'm going to go next. I mentioned Jelani Thurman already. I'm going to say him here because I think we all think Will Kazmarek's probably their tight end one. They brought him in, in here to be that guy in this room. He's the best blocker in the room. And I think there might be something there because he's a part of that 2021 class who didn't really get a chance to get fully evaluated because we were in the middle of a pandemic. So maybe there was some untapped potential there that if things would have been normal, Ohio State maybe would have gotten in on him late. He would have been a Buckeye anyway, but started out his career at Ohio and now he's at Ohio State. But tight end two, I think, is up for grabs. G. Scott had it last year, but that's because your options were G. Scott, uh, Joe Royer, who unfortunately a lot of things got in the way, whether it was injuries, unfortunately his mother passing as well while he was on this campus. It just never really panned out here. Sam Hart, he's in year four, and we haven't seen him whatsoever. And then Bennett Christian coming off a year where he had to sit out because of taking some uh, illegal substances, I believe. So it's just there weren't tied in two. It's not like the op- tied in two options were great last year and g scott i think is a quality option still but what if it clicks for jelani thurman in year two we saw it click with uh luke uh it's not uh, jeremy rucker excuse me in, in year two in 2019 and he got on the field and he was making plays he had a one-handed catch in the big 10 championship game him and luke farrell were your two starting tight ends can we see a similar situation with jelani thurman where we get out there and whenever they're in periods where they're doing 12 personnel stuff jelani thurman is doing stuff no, he was he was next on my list, and um, for again, it kind of goes back to me. Where can this offense take a jump? Where where can it like really push itself forward? Like there's there can be improvements in the margins. I think tight end right now, as you look at it, is a step back from what mm-hmm. they had with Cade Stover last year. I think that's going to be a tough thing to. That may be the one position on this offense where they can't recreate what they had last year and they're going to have to find production elsewhere because of it except except if Jelani Thurman's ready with that body that athleticism that um you know it does does the the finer points of football have they come along with that now is he ready to be a um, consistent receiver is he ready to use that body to block with all the nuances that are are called for in in that you know what I mean like all those like finer points. Is he still just a big guy who is on the, on the horizon is going to be something, or is he ready to be a player right now? And I don't know if we get a definitive answer to that this spring, but we already got some, you know, it's, it's like, how much do you want to put stock in certain things? He was on the field to start the cotton bowl. Yep. He was on the field for the first offensive snaps of the cotton bowl. And then he was not on the field for the rest of the cotton bowl. <laughs> and now some things went wrong in the cotton bowl, as we already discussed, but, that was one of those things that like, it doesn't mean everything, but it means something that he was on the field that early. And I want to know what happened. Like did things happen during bowl practice that set him up for that. We haven't really talked yet about to Ryan day about Jelani Thurman or, and certainly not yet to, to Keenan Bailey about Jelani Thurman and what happened during bowl practice that pushed him towards that. And it may have been just what specialized they were trying to do with the formation, that certain package. I get it, but this is not an unheard of thing. True freshman has always been, you know, they like it right away. They like what he's going to be. Something happens during bowl practice to where a little light bulb goes off. Not so much for him, but maybe the people who are evaluating him. And they say, okay, now this is where he can be used. I, I It's one of those things where, again, don't get too out and far out in front of it. Look for how he's being used. Look for how much he's being used. 
it, are there, you know, are there times where he's the, you know, they're in um, 11 personnel and he is the number one, he's the tight end with the number one offense. Like, is that happening a lot this spring? Just look for little hints like that. I still think that it, we could be looking at something where, you know, Kaczmarek is the the main guy to start this year. Mm-hmm. G. Scott is still heavily involved. And the Jelani Thurman story evolves over the course of a 15-game run into the playoff or whatever. And that once you get into the playoff and now you've had those extra practices and everything, then, you know, he's making a big red zone catch for a touchdown or something in a, in a huge game. Like this may, it may not be a thing that he pops this spring and all of a sudden everybody's on like, you know, all American notice. It may be a thing where it's a it's a climb, but by the end of this year, people are like, "Oh, hey!" In addition to all these the receivers who emerged and Will Howard playing as well as he did, uh, don't forget this tight end they have is going to be on like an All American shortlist next year or something like that. Andrew, any consideration for Jelani Thurman, the second year tight end? Well, yeah, I mean, he's on my list. I think I, one of the things for me that I tried to separate too is that you guys have seen these dudes, some of these play, dudes play for three to four years. I have not really seen Jelani Thurman play football. Um, we so, haven't either, dude. I, well, I mean, you've seen him for spring year. practice. You can see him through more things than I have. Like, I, I have seen two practices, and, that, and that's the games. So I saw two fall practices, and then that's it. Um, you know, so if you didn't play a lot, I, I really didn't see you a lot this year. So – that was one of the things he was, he was the guy on my list where I was like, you know, I think I have him on here for the right reasons, but I want to be sure. And I, I wasn't quite sure that I did, but yeah, he, he was on my list because again, he's six foot six, he's two fifty eight. Like that's an athletic freak at tight end that can run. You watch his huddle highlight tapes from high school. You just listen to the way that people talk about him. You see the way that he moves, even when he's not, you know, in, in game rep or anything like that. It's, it's just different. And I think that I have kind of said this for a while, a tight end is a unique part of this offense because a tight end will never be featured. You know, this isn't like a, like an Iowa where, um, you know, a tight end is your number one receiving threat. You know, even if you do have a great tight end, it's just that's never going to happen because of the receiver talent. But I do think that it does give you just a remarkable just change up and a remarkable like kind of second, third, fourth pitch, whatever you want to say of your offense that that you can just add. So if you can get Thurman in a role where, you know, physically he he matches up and physically he can, you know, he, he can stand out. But if you can get him in that type of role where you feel comfortable throwing him out there in run and pass situations, I, I think what this what it, what he can do for this offense is, is really kind of un, unmatched by anyone else in that tight end room. So, yeah, he was he was on my list. I, I'm fascinated to see what he can do. Nathan, you know, we, go ahead. We've always talked about, you know, how how state disadvantages itself a little bit by not showcasing the tight end when it then wants to go out and recruit top flight tight ends and then because I guess because of the NFL question he might be the guy who breaks that rule because if mm-hmm. you're this special athletically and size wise then you don't have to show as much you don't have to have as many receiving reps mm-hmm. to 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 let people know what they're what they've got so but also Kate Stover broke that a little bit too because look at how much he caught these past I think it I think it's it's just all a circumstance it's all how each quarterback is going to read that thing. No quarterback, no receiver was probably going to really pile up a ton of, sorry, no tight end was probably going to pile up a bunch of catches 
with Justin Fields because Justin Fields was such a downfield gunner in a lot yep. of ways. Like he liked to hit the big plays and you weren't really usually doing that with the tight ends, although you could like, you, and he did at times hit those guys in the seams. I'll take you back to the Clemson game. I'll take you back to any number of games. It was just more, it wasn't an abundance of them. Mm-hmm. because He picked his moments and in CJ Stroud, I think it made sense that a little bit more, he recognized Cade Stover as the check down as opposed to using a running back as the check down uh-huh. for whatever reason, that was just the way he quarterbacked. And then Kyle McCord kept that going last year because he needed to check down even more. And with Trevin Henderson, not available for half the year that Stover's role as a receiver grew. So now it's more like, what does, what is Will Howard's relationship within this offense and how he reads this offense with the tight end? I think we don't know that yet. That's a, a very much an unknown. And we won't really even get an indication of that this spring. But it's more about for Jelani Thurman for 2024. How ready are you to be the all around tight end that Ohio State needs to put on the field? Because you do have it, it is it's not to be the coach cliche. It is such a developmental position. Will Kazmarek's going to be making a transition from the MAC up to the Big Ten. Like that's yep. not nothing. Sorry guys, and like as as you guys have had to make the transition from the MAC to the Big Ten, and. Listen, I was coming from the Horizon League, so uh, (laughs) we don't even have football up there, I don't think. They certainly didn't at my college. But um, so there's but there is there's a lot of like there's a lot of finer points that go into it. And we but we've seen when it's special guys around the country, it does sometimes hit in that second year. Uh, Sometimes it hits even earlier than that. But like people in in Georgia weren't sitting around saying, boy, I hope Brock Bowers figures it out in the second year. Like, no, no, it was already happening. So I guess I would just conclude by saying just because Jelani Thurman doesn't have that yet doesn't mean he's behind or off schedule or whatever. It's just that if 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 the if the most special parts of him break through this spring and start emerging this offseason, I think it's one of the things that just makes this offense more interesting and potentially raises a ceiling for this offense. Because right now I think we look at tight end as a place where they can get um, solid play from. But if you start changing it from where they can get solid play to where they can get special play, and then then it, it, it just raises the potential for this whole offense. I'm just thinking about the 2026 offense when potentially Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis are going to the NFL, and you're, it's like how 2023 was, where Mar- your Marvin Harrison Jr. is Jeremiah Smith and your Cade Stover is Jelani Thurman and what that looks like. But that's a conversation for later down the line. The more important thing I wanted to say is you brought up something that was interesting and it made me think about another football player on this roster. You brought up the fact that they used him in the Cotton Bowl. They used him early and then they didn't use him again. And how, how much of that was got thrown off because Devin Brown got knocked out of the game? We don't know. But the point of the matter is, you know who that reminded me of? Sonny Styles against Georgia the year before, where they used him early in this very, very small role. Sonny Styles played like seven snaps in the sugar in the um uh uh, uh what is that bowl called? The, the college football playoff game Peach against Georgia. Peach Peach bowl. Bowl. There's too many bowls, man. Too many bowls. But well, they, it's only six New Year's six bowls. That's a sm- smaller list to remember. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, they don't go to the Peach Bowl a lot, so it's it's hard. But still. They didn't use Sonny Styles in this major way. It was just a big deal that he was out there. And then the very next year, in year two, he's a starter and playing an impact role for Ohio State's defense. What if Jelani Thurman's just Sonny Styles on offense, where it did turn on, the light came on, and they went, hmm, 
we can exploit this in our bowl game. And then he uses that and he turns that into it being an impact player on this offense in 2024. That's how I'm viewing Jelani Thurman heading into this 2024 season. It it, it could be exactly like Sonny Styles. Like Sonny Styles was not Ohio State's best safety last year, right? Like Lathan Ransom was Sonny Styles was Ohio State's best safety. And at times you could say Josh Proctor was the number two best safety on the season. So we're not I'm not saying when I say what if he's Sonny Styles, I'm saying if what if that's the trajectory. It doesn't mean he has to be their best tight end or best weapon. It just means he turned bowl practice into an idea for a bowl game, into a, I'm one of the starters now. I'm out here. I have a real role here, and you can use me every single week. And I think that's the best way to look at Jelani Thurman. And then two years from now, then we can get all fun with this and call him the next Travis Kelsey. No, and I think there is some parallels there because Styles probably would have had a bigger role throughout that Peach Bowl if Darnell Washington didn't get hurt because that was a big role reason why he was in there. And so once... Once Georgia didn't have him, they didn't need Ohio State didn't need Styles as much. And yep. if because the way things went haywire on Ohio State at the beginning of the one quarter into the Cotton Bowl, that probably changed what they were going to do with him. So yeah, I uh, I'm 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 just on alert for what used to just be oh hey that guy really fills out the pads being like <laughs> now he's now he's out there we notice him doing things on the field. Okay, so we're gonna take one last break here, and then we'll get into our final three guys here on Buckeye Talk. We're working through the list of the nine most interesting guys on Ohio State's roster as the Buckeyes prepare to start spring practice on March 5th. So far, a list, C.J. Hicks, number one, Sonny Styles number two, Luke Montgomery, number three, and then Seth McGoffrin, excuse me, number four, Jeremiah Smith, number five, Jelani Thurman, number six. Nathan, you're back up on the clock. Who's the last guy you want to mention here as most interesting guy? There's 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 a range of guys, um, but I'm also again I'm leaning towards things that I could see this spring that make the 2024 product even more special. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna put Kenyatta Jackson here, and it's not because they need him to be a great defensive end this season for them to be good. They've got two of the best defensive ends, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. Mm-hmm. Two guys who plausibly could be getting ready for the NFL draft right now who decided to come back. So they got pros in front of him. But the natural progression for what he was as a prospect and what he has even flashed at times these first two years would have him ready to start this spring. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost a tandem pick, him and Caden Curry. I just have this this concept now, and you can look back through, I wrote about this in my spring preview on the defensive ends. I've been doing uh, position by position things going into the spring. People can get those on cleveland.com slash OSU. But the, you can look back at like the best rush, best pass rush units that Larry Johnson's had. And it would be like, okay, there's Joey Bosa, but then there's Tyquan Lewis coming in behind him. And then there's Nick Bosa, and then there's Chase Young coming in behind him. And there would be this like established NFL guy. And I'm not putting, I'm actually not putting Tuamalo out and Sawyer in the Bosa, Bosa, Young, or really even Tyquan Lewis category yet. Like I think they still might have to prove that over the course of a year. But you know what I'm saying here? You've got the frontline guys, and then there's these, these guys behind them that are not backups. By, by like no measure was Chase Young ever really a backup. 
if Chase Young had been buried on that depth chart as a true freshman and and still kind of hindered even as a sophomore, he would have been starting for not just any other team in the Big Ten, maybe every other team in the country. So, I mean, in, Chase, in the case of Chase Young, I think we can probably say definitely every other team in the country. Yeah. <laughs> but so this is what I'm 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 very intrigued by. We know that this coaching staff, even though last year they showed a buy-in to letting their best players play a lot of snaps, they also are now conscious of the fact that this might be a 16-game season. Mm -hmm. And I think we're probably going to see that even with the the two bye weeks this year. I think you're probably going to see them when when, when the level of play of the backups allows them to. I think you're going to see them back off, especially in these early weeks of the season um, when they're playing non-conference games. I mean, it's it really it's a nice ramp up to them for into to that Oregon game. So, uh, just a long-winded way of saying, like you know, if if Kenyatta Jackson and and Caden Curry, but Kenyatta Jackson is just the one that we still think of as like maybe there's more untapped top end play there. And if he starts to show that consistently this spring, maybe even especially if the offensive line shows itself more competent and Kenyatta Jackson is still winning a lot of those battles, you just start to see how that unfolds in a game. That now teams, instead of feeling like they get a break when Tuamaloao and Sawyer come out of a game, now you're just saying, oh, no, well, the guy we're throwing in there now is Kenyatta Jackson, who in any other circumstance would be our starter anyway and is a guy who we can't remove you can't dismiss the idea that he's NFL ready by the end of this year. I think this 2024 defensive end unit could look pretty similar to the 2017 unit in terms of just options that Larry Johnson has there. Obviously, J- Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa at the top of that, but then you've got Kenyatta Jackson, Caden Curry, who to your point, yeah. If we just started listing off Big Ten teams they could be a starter for, I think you could get to at least half of the Big Ten, especially now that there's 40 million teams in the Big Ten. Just uh, They're just stuck behind two NFL players, and that's what happens at Ohio State. You get stuck behind NFL players. But then also, I think if if the, if JT and Jack are the stop, top of the room, so maybe they're Tyquan Lewis and, and Nick Bosa, and then you've got Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard. That's where Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson come in. And then your true freshman is Chase Young a five-star freshman with a lot of potential from the SEC country. Well, that's where Edric Houston comes into this conversation. I think there's a lot of depth there, but also, Andrew, you have, you're going to play potentially 16 games, and I'm not sure how many of those games, especially in a regular season, you have to absolutely have JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer out there for every single snap. So it is almost how much more can we see Kenyatta Jackson flash? And we, we can throw Kenyatta, Caden Curry into this conversation because I think they are in tandem, Nathan. I think you're right. How much do they flash this spring? Yeah, I mean – you mentioned the you know the schedule like they don't need them the first five weeks of the year <laughs> they don't need JG Tumaloa and Jack mm-hmm. Sawyer to play because they play Akron Western Michigan they have a bye week then they host Marshall and then they go to Michigan State and like uh, you probably don't need them there either like you can have a lot of these guys just kind of kick their feet up and and say all right you've done enough and enough might be very minimal. You know, I, I think early on you can you can start to kind of map this out. I think, you know, programs are always a little bit, you know, hesitant to do that. But especially with this team where so much is returning. I like this pick because, you know, with Kenyatta, because so much is returning from the 2023 team. You know, you know, we, we, we know that they're good. 
we know that they're very talented. They added Caleb Williams or Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams in the transfer portal. No, they added Caleb Downs in the transfer. Not portal. talking about the Bears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they added Caleb Downs in the transfer portal. So the defense is sick. We know it's awesome. We know that they're talented. We know that they're going to be one of, if not the best defenses in the country. All right, we can map that out. So to me, the question with this defense is, what is the least amount that you can play them early in the year and still create that rhythm and still create that level of cohesion? Because you're not what you're not going to do is just say, you know what, we're going to play a bunch of second teamers until we go to Oregon in, you know, on October 12th. And then when we play Oregon on October 12th, it's just going to be great. And we're going to hit start and everybody's going to fire. And that's that's not the way that this works. So I think you're going to have to find that mix. And when you are finding that mix, though, you're going to be playing guys like Kenyatta Jackson. And having that third is going to be really important because, you know, you always want to account for, you know, you or you never want to think about injuries, but you always kind of have to account for them. And you were healthy last year at defensive end. And one guy goes down and Kenyatta Jackson's on the field and, and you need him to be a productive pass rusher. So. Yeah, I, I like this pick a lot. Load management is going to make its way into college football. Yep. <laughs> well, it already did. I think it's I it's, it's, it's this isn't really load management we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But Kajaja, great pick. I, he, uh, I, I'm going to stay on the defensive line when I make my pick as well. But Andrew, you're going to go first here. Who's your final guy? Yeah, um, I did something similar to Nathan where I was like, okay. Because Nathan, it sounds like when his process, when he got down, because there's a bunch of guys when you get down to this list, you can like, all right, what can what can I do and who who can I pick that can enhance the 2024 team? I went, okay, where do I have questions about this team? And I went back to the offensive line and I have Tegra Shibola on my list because I think he is kind of a dark horse offensive line option because we can talk about Luke Montgomery and we can talk about um, Seth McLaughlin and we can talk about Carson Hinsman. We can talk about guys that played last year, right? Like guys that had a big role last year or guys that didn't, but we expect to come on and, you know, like the uh, the Luke Montgomery's of the world. And I think we're kind of forgetting Tegra Shibola is in this conversation because I've, I've said, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. And I've said this on this podcast and I will say it on future podcasts. It is so, so, so very hard to play offensive line at the college level as a young player. And Tegra Shibola is entering his third year with the program now, right? Like this is the time when you see that jump happen, especially for offensive linemen. This like he's a year advanced compared to uh, Luke Montgomery. He's got some remarkable athleticism, some remarkable size. And I just, you look at him and you see an offensive lineman like the, that's what those dudes look like. Like that's what big 10 offensive linemen look like. And I think that when you when you have Tegra Shibola in that mix, he's just he's the wild card to me because you can map out the offensive line, I think, fairly well if Montgomery does play tackle. Because Montgomery and Simmons are your tackles, Jackson's your left guard, McLaughlin's your center. And then it's okay, well, then you just kick Josh Fryer inside. And that that kind of seems to be everybody's neat and tidy, you know, starting five up front. But I think Tegra Shibola can really kind of throw a wrench into this and throw a wrench into this in a good way where if Tegra Shibola shows up and asserts himself as one of the best five offensive linemen that you got to get him on the field, 
I think that that's a good thing. If Tegra Shabola is your best right tackle, and that means Luke Montgomery is sitting on the bench, then that's fine. Then, all right, then so be it. That's the way that these things work. If Tegra Shabola is your best right guard, and you have to kick a guy like Josh Fryer, who started last year, and now you have to put him on the bench, okay, well, well, them's the breaks. And that's the way it happens at Ohio State, and that's the way it happens at high-level programs. So, yeah, Tegra Shabola, I just, you see the athleticism, you see the physicality, you see the size, you see everything that, you know, has kind of made him, you know, what what people, th- or, you know, what what he could be, I should say. And I just, I look at him as a guy that maybe we're underrating a little bit headed into camp, and maybe he doesn't draw the attention of some of these other guys, but I think he's right there. I think Tegra Shabola can Dewan Jones' thing, except we're all seeing it coming. Because that Dewan Jones was in year three when he did that, Nathan, when he forced his way onto the field. And because he did it as a guy where, I mean, I talked to Greg Shadrava about it. He said if it hits, he's a first-round draft pick. He wasn't a first-round draft pick, but also some of that, he, he slid in the draft, but maybe some of that was, you know, the way they handled the draft process. That's neither here nor there. He was a two-year starter, and he was pretty quality here. So now that we've seen it, maybe we can anticipate it this time around. And Tegra Shabola, we keep saying it. He looks the part, man. If I had to construct a top 10 tackle pick in the NFL draft, he's who I come out the, the laboratory with. That physical makeup right there so maybe in year three it finally clicks and maybe it doesn't happen in spring though maybe they get out of the spring and they just like their options enough that we're not asking questions about hey do they need to go explore the transfer portal the way they did last year and that's fine that's that's progress but then we get to like week three of fall camp and justin fry he'd never talk like this because he coach speaks a lot but it's just like oh this guy's he's shutting everybody down Jack Sawyer's like, I have no idea how to get past this guy. JT Tuimolo, I was like, dude, I tr- keep trying to bull rush him, and I end up flat on my back every single time. And Will Howard's like, I am not worried about the right side of the offensive line at all. It is completely safe. All that is on the table in this situation. But I do agree with you, Andrew. He was on my list as well. It starts now. Nathan, any consideration to Tegra Shibola? Yeah, no, he was on the short list. I, I think you guys have, have pretty much covered it. It's It's hard. The Dewan Jones, there are no comps for Dewan Jones. Like he, we have to be careful with that. Like we can't get into that trap. Like he showed up here as a guy that big who was yeah. also a Division One basketball prospect. Like that's like kind of once a generation you might get a guy like that. Tucker Shabola is just sort of big. <laughs> like even for offensive linemen, he's he just has a size that we are intrigued by. Uh, but again, it means something. He's getting on the field late in the season in that in the cotton bowl like getting little flashes of things it means that they see something in him that they not only helps them athletically but there's a trust factor there too i think that trust factor is is a really crucial part of it you know they trusted um josh fryer a little bit more before they put him on the field they trusted matt jones a little bit more before they put him on the field you saw all those things coming and the Tegra Shabola thing last year was a little bit of a hint that the trust factor could be there, but it's, it's, it's just a matter now of what I said before, like who goes out and just like really, really takes, uh, takes it by the horns. It just takes a job. Uh, they've got to have guys in this offensive line that make that transition from being a prospect to being a solution. Okay. My last pick is a bit of a dark horse. I'm, 
about 80% sure you guys probably didn't have him on your list. But, Nathan, you brought up the edge rushers. I'm going to bring up the interior guys. We know Tyleek Williams and we know Ty Hamilton are going to be your starters there. But they need depth, man. They need options at that place. And I'm not going to go Hero Canoe here. I'm going to go Taiwan Malone here as a guy who got here last fall and he was down at Ole Miss. They recruited him out of high school as a top 150 recruit, and he chose Ole Miss partially because he also wanted to play baseball, which he was. This is the first year of his life where it's only been about football. No baseball, just football. And maybe, Nathan, when he got here last fall and we were like, oh, he's here because they need depth. Maybe this guy can even pull ahead of Tyleek Williams because maybe he locks in. Maybe I'll speak for myself and you can agree or disagree. I maybe had too high of expectations for Taiwan Malone in year one and what he was going to be able to do for this football team, just like I had two low expectations of what Tyreek Williams was going to be able to do in his year three. So once again, I was wrong about Tyreek Williams, and I have no problem admitting that. He had an awesome year last year. But Taiwan Malone going into his first full offseason at Ohio State, he's got a year under his belt where he wasn't asked to do necessarily anything on the field meaningfully. But now you're going into this year where you know your top two, and I think you probably know your third with the way Hero Canoe was flashing at times, but can they make it four? And then can they make it five and six with guys like uh, um, uh, Katie McDonald and, and Jason Moore as well? But Taiwan Malone, I think, is an interesting one because I'm not necessarily concerned about what unit he's working with. I'm just more concerned with seeing him do stuff, seeing him flash, seeing a guy who has only been focused on just football, do we start to see some of the things people saw in him as a recruit when they were evaluating him and wanted him to get, come here in the first place? Yeah, and we've used this term of like guys getting lost on the roster before, mm-hmm. right? And it's usually guys who are around for like three years and have just never found either the right positional fit or the development hasn't been where we thought it would be. So, you know, in the past, this would have applied to guys like Cam Martinez. Or, um, you know, Court Williams, I guess he would still qualify for that as we still don't know exactly where he stands. You know, guys who just sort of sort of slip through the cracks and never really establish themselves in a, in a real way on the depth chart. And I, it's, it's easy to almost put Taiwan Malone in that category, even though he didn't get here till you know, he didn't even commit till last May mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a transfer from Ole Miss. But I, cause I was looking at this for, again, those spring previews I was writing. I was like, wait a second. Like he didn't even have a spring here last year. And then on top of that, uh, Tyleek did break through the way he did. So you had, instead of what we thought was going to be like the Mike Hall show, and then maybe Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton were going to come along as steady guys, but they needed a lot of help. It really kind of became a three-man show because of what Tyleek Williams was able to do, and they just didn't need that rotational depth quite as much. Again, now that you're looking at 15, 16 games necessary to win a national championship, I think you're going to need a, another – try to go a good five deep if you can this year. And you're right. We didn't see – we still have not seen him play much football at all. Like whatever little glimpses we got last preseason camp is just about it because he didn't play very many snaps in games last year. Mm-hmm. So – I am, he definitely needs to be on this list and I had not put him on my list. And I think he's a really intriguing guy to put on this list again, because the upside of it is more than just being a depth piece. Not saying he can replace Mike Hall. I think if that were true, we would have seen more from him last year, but 
the fact that he could be something more than just the fifth guy in a rotation at defensive tackle is is definitely on the table. Like, would anybody be shocked if we got to November and people are like, oh, yeah, Tywin Malone, that's like the third best defensive tackle on this team, and he's played a, a pretty crucial role. I, I think that's on the table, but I think we all want to see it. And I think that year of, you know, no more baseball, as much as it breaks my heart to see guys give up on baseball, because I think it would have been fun to watch him take some swings. He's a big dude. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to get him, that was the whole, this is the reason why he came here. For him, 2023 was as much about fully investing in football than anything else. And he's done that now. So where does he come out on the other side of that? starting in the spring of 2024, what football player is he now that he has committed to it for a full year? I think in retrospect, he he wasn't ready for it. There was a combination of, yes, Ohio State was getting better play from some guys than it may be expected. Um, but now it's a combination of there's there's an opportunity with Mike Hall gone. There's you, They need more help at defensive tackle. But he also now is going to have to fight off at least two guys who we think are coming in McDonald and Canoe. And who who were also flashing things. And we were actually doing it in games last year. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a little bit of urgency for him, but I also think there is still some real upside here. Like people recognized it in him as a prospect all along. He's obviously got some gifts. I mean, if you can play scholarship level division one baseball in the SEC and defensive tackle, that's uncommon. There's something uncommon there. So now how does he channel that all into football over the past year? And do we get to see it this spring? Yeah, I think this is a good pick. So any other names that people considered? Andrew, I'll let you go first. Anybody else you may be considered on this list that we didn't name? You know, not in a crazy fashion. You know, like I, I pondered Jason Moore, but there were other guys in the defensive tackle rotation where they were kind of right there. I'm just – like Jason Moore is a guy where you like you're curious about that like that second year because he showed up to Ohio State and you know when he was a high school recruit I think he was like six five two fifty six four two fifty something like that and he shows up to Ohio State and gains a lot of weight immediately and when I saw him in fall camp I think he was listed at like two ninety five so it's like how does that happen in year two how do you carry that weight now that you've been living with it for a little while how do you work with that weight so like. There was something about that, um, I, you know. You think about like a like a um, like a Calvin Simpson Hunt or someone in the back end, like the you know one of the young corners. But I, I think we, not to you know toot our own horn and pat ourselves on the back too much. I think we did a pretty good job. That the, the list that we had was was pretty much exactly what I had, um, you know, for when I had my nine that I kind of mapped out for my uh, my big board, if you will. So you know, th- there were other guys that I think deserving of consideration but maybe not deserve deserving of like a an honorable mention selection i'll put it like that andrew excuse me nathan anybody else well i want to see quench on judkins but we can go watch him play you know 500 carries over the past two years in the sec so it's not like we haven't seen him play real football yeah i'm just curious it's more like what 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 ohio state shows us that they might do with him and henderson than it is about seeing him mm-hmm. um edric houston uh mm-hmm. you know all this defensive end talent that they have and yet this is a like wh- is this like the quietest other than the fact that they weren't sure they were going to get him at the end that they had to hold on to him but it's like the fi- quietest five-star rush end that ohio state's ever had in terms of like the hype coming in just yeah. because of this 
this talent stack ahead of him, but I wouldn't take that as any indication. I mean, let him come in and, and show what he's got and see if he can get in this mix somehow. Um, Gabe Powers is someone that, you know, listening back to James Laurinaitis last week, you almost got the, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, CJ Hicks. I liked what I saw from Gabe Powers last spring. I thought Gabe Powers was showing some stuff last spring that he could hang in that role if needed. And they have to have, you know, as much as we think Cody Simon, okay, you're locked in at, at middle linebacker, at, at Mike, uh, but it's not like he's never missed time before. And there's got to be a second option at Mike that keeps this defense intact if he can't play for some reason. And more beyond that, though, the Gabe Powers is still like a top 100-ish prospect who should be sort of reaching his best football now going into his third year. So that's just someone else that I want another look at this spring because I liked what we saw from him last spring. I saw him like out making plays, mm-hmm. and I think if if that grows, if that has grown over the past year, then I would almost put it to the extent of like maybe let's not assume that that number one Mike linebacker spot is Cody Simons alone. I significantly considered saying Gabe Powers' name on this because you're talking about it from the Mike linebacker standpoint. I'm even looking at Will. I mean, sure. I don't like yeah. yeah. CJ Hicks has not played that many more snaps than Gabe Powers has played. I think one's played 75 and the other one's played 21 in their and this is their in their careers and neither one of them played all those came last year. CJ Hicks has the height because he has the stars next to his name and the way that he's constantly been talked about. Right. But I don't know if I'm going to be completely shocked if we get in there and say Sonny Styles isn't with the linebackers if the starting linebackers are Cody Simon and Gabe Powers. I would not be completely thrown for a loop. It would be interesting, but it wouldn't throw me for a loop at all. And so that's why that's what makes that one interesting. I thought about Malik Hartford as well, just because. I think the pressure to be a starter this year is maybe off of him a little bit because no, I don't think it's, I mean, Cape Downs is here. So, but still you want to see that progression. You want to see some of the stuff that he was doing last year. You mentioned Calvin Simpson on already, Andrew, just because we haven't seen him play football. We've seen him on special teams, but we haven't necessarily seen him play football. Jermaine Matthews. I am just excited to see him go up against these wide receivers because I just think he's the most, He's probably the biggest trash talker in that cornerback room, so I'm interested to see him. And then the other two guys, just from the cornerback room in general, Aaron Scott, five-star cornerback. I just want to see if he can flash at times. And Bryce West, I just want to see. He's an intriguing prospect because he's going to start out at corner, but I am wondering if he has a future at nickel. And do you start to see some of that stuff in the spring early on where they kind of identify it early and maybe a top 50 recruit playing nickel from day one. And then a year from now, you see the payoff with him starting. So a lot of the other guys I considered, they can't really help in 2024, but they're in the beginning stages of maybe setting a baseline, setting a foundation for what they can be going forward. A couple of top 100 recruit guys and a couple of guys excuse me, in the linebacker room as well. But that is our official list of the most interesting non-quarterbacks that we are interested in heading into spring practice. CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles, Luke Montgomery, Seth McLaughlin, Jeremiah Smith, Jelani Thurman, Kenyatta Jackson, Tegra Shibola, and Taiwan Malone. Get the text 614-350-3315 when we're in there potentially watching practice starting March 5th. All that information, all that news, everything to your phone first, two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. For Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.